Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. And on today's episode, we have Sarah Pack on. She is a very, very talented musician, specifically pianist,、um, who yeah, just makes the most beautiful music.、Um, so today we get to explore her life a little bit,、um, her upbringing and her college years to kind of dive into and explore what motivated her, encouraged her, and guided her to. Becoming the high caliber musician that she is today. So, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And I, you know, so like, I don't think we've seen each other. I mean, I, I feel like we've met each other like a few times、um, through mutual friends. Like,、uh, my wife knows you.、Um, but I feel a renewed kinship, kinship with you、um, after the I hope,、uh, I'm sorry, after the When I Grow Up podcast that Blair does. <laughs>、um, yes.、Uh, finding out that we are both,、uh, yeah, you do data work.、Uh, my work is heavily data related. So,、mm-hmm. yeah, when I was listening to that episode, I could relate. Like 100%、um, all the things you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I even told her before I went on, I was like, by the way, David's job is like OG data science. Like, <laughs> like supply chain is the father of analytics. So I might say the same thing. She's like, your story will be a little bit different. So I was like,、no. yeah, that's definitely true. So for sure. I, I think,、um, yeah, for, for those, those of you guys who haven't heard,、um, especially if you are. Thinking about careers and like, what kind of fields to get into, definitely go listen to Sarah's episode on When I Grow Up because, yeah, it, although the how, the, the how of what we do is similar, I think the why and like the result、mm-hmm. can vary very differently,、uh, very much. So, yeah, I,、sure. I think it was very different. Yeah.、Um, and, and you're in Chicago now, right? Yeah, I am. So, I moved here、uh, right after I graduated from Georgia Tech. So, about three, three years ago now.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so、um, can you just tell us the story of kind of how you got there? I, I know that it was, I know you're in Chicago because I listened to the podcast and your, your work got you there. But just in terms of,、um, you know, like, did you grow up in Atlanta? Like, how was your time in Atlanta?、Um, do you miss it? Like, how、oh、is、goodness. life in Chicago? Can you just kind of run us through your, your life story a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, I was. Born, raised, and educated in Atlanta or in Georgia, I guess,、um, in Koreatown area, so Duluth.、Mm. Um, I was an accident.、Uh, my dad was very angry when he found out that my mom was pregnant.、Um, so my brothers are lots of years older than me,、um, mm. and I'm the only daughter as well. So、uh, growing up in Atlanta, I, yeah, I think I had a really great childhood.、Um, What do I remember about it? I mean, I think for me it was really great growing up with a lot of Koreans.、Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in elementary school, I was one of the only like 10 or 20 Koreans in my elementary school. But when, once I got to middle school, I went to Hull. So、mm-hmm. I remember at the start of the year in sixth grade in my homeroom, there were, I think, five Koreans. Um, and then at the end of the year, there were like 12 <laughs> just in my homeroom alone. So <laughs> Um, yeah, I really enjoyed just growing up in that kind of community, and、mm. I spent a lot of time in church、um, because my uncle, my uncle
um, was actually a pastor when I was growing up. So oh. I was born attending that church, um, and I attended it until I was about 10. And Wait, can I yeah. ask you a question? So you, you mentioned that you knew that you were an accident. Is that something that your parents just like readily told you about? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> um, especially from a very early age, they would tell me that I was a happy accident. And this was when I was like four or five. Wow. But I would go around telling people when I met them like, oh, yeah, I was a happy accident. And <laughs> I think my parents just were like, maybe it's not the best that we like push this narrative on mm. her. Um, but no, I did ask my mom about my like, the circumstances surrounding my birth and she was very explicit so what's the age difference between you and your brothers my oldest brother is 11 years older than me and then my younger brother is eight years older than me oh wow that's yeah. huge so they must have felt like like dad number two and dad number three huh i like to refer to them as my uncles uh, <laughs> oh wow do you feel like that uh influenced the way that you grew up at all um knowing that you have two significantly older siblings above you. Yeah, I think um, I think they were definitely the guinea pigs of my parents' parenting, um, and also because they were both sons, I think they received a lot different treatment than I did, mm. um, especially with regards to discipline and um, you know just the way that my parents expressed love to them. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt very favored as growing up as a child. Um, and I know that my parents always wanted a daughter. So um, in that sense, yeah, I felt a little bit separate from them. But it was really cool. Like when my oldest brother, you know, I was about seven. So I was in second grade. And um, I just remember this one particular afternoon where my brother said he would pick me up from school mm -hmm. and he was driving us we were listening to 104.7 the fish um and he took me to macaroni grill <laughs> of all places <laughs> um and and i remember trying focaccia there for the first time like this really nice bread and huh. um i just remember thinking like oh this is so cool like it really was like having an uncle and um yeah so it definitely, I think I definitely grew up a little bit as an only child because once I was eight, um, both of my brothers were out of the house. So I think that definitely influenced a lot of just the way that I interact with other people and, you know, mm. like a little bit of only child syndrome, maybe. <laughs> so I know that when people grow up with siblings that are much older, they tend to, well, you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this, but I, mm -hmm. I feel like they tend to mature a little bit faster. Um, like intellectually and maybe even emotionally a little bit or do you find that to be the case in your experience I couldn't tell you I don't I don't think I did I do remember that I got along really well with my grandparents who mm. raised me from you know age zero to about six or seven and I remember specifically that one of their friends, um, one of our relatives, much older relatives came from Korea and you know we took her to Stone Mountain and the whole Atlanta shebang. Yeah. And um, when we were there, I was about five. And I remember that she eventually started calling me Onni, which is right, like the Korean honor pick for somebody who's older than you. Because right. she was like, you know everything. <laughs> you can be my Onni. So mm. I definitely had a streak where I got along with older people and that's kind of how it's been for me throughout my entire life as well like I get along really well with like people in their 40s and this has been true since I was about 20 but I don't oh, wow. think that necessarily translates into emotional maturity right like mm. 
um, my interests lean a little bit old. <laughs> hmm. Oh, interesting, interesting. So then, like, what roles did your brothers have in your life? Because you you mentioned that you had that awesome day, like where your brother picked you up and you guys, you know, got to go out together and stuff like that. But uh, besides that, was there? Because I'm asking, and I'm interested in this because my wife has a a sister who's seven uh-huh. years younger. Yeah. And she always talks about how it, it's funny because her name, her Korean name is Yudi, and mm-hmm. sometimes she'll call our daughter Yudi on accident because <laughs> she's so used to like calling the person that she's taking care of Yudi. Um, like she, she would always pick her up and like drop her off at like dance lessons and things like oh. that. So did your older brothers have, did you kind of have that kind of relationship with your older brothers? No, I think part of it is, I think it's a little bit different between when the older sibling is a girl. Mm. Um, I think there's a little bit more of a maternal role that they tend to take on. Mm. Um, I think my brothers were, their biggest impact on me was that they took the blows of my parents' parenting (laughs) mistakes um, a little bit harder and uh, were used as a learning ground for my parents. Mm. Um, But yeah, I just remember feeling very safe with them. Um, My favorite memory with them is, you know, I was about three and, you know, my brothers were 14 and about 12. And Danny, the oldest, he... Um, you know, my parents had left the house for the evening, and so Danny was in charge. And um, Danny was like, Sarah, if Andy bothers you, come tell me, and, like, I'll beat him up. I was like, okay, great. And so, you know, Andy and I were hanging out, and, like, he bugged me. And then I was like, oppa, Andy is bothering me. And so he came into the room, and he's like, okay, Sarah, leave the room. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went out, and I was like, oh, no, he's about to get beat up because of what I said. It's like, yeah, Andy, but then I kind of cracked the door open and he was just tickling (laughs) so um in that sense yeah i you know my brothers were very very loving towards me and um yeah i mean we haven't had a perfect relationship um but i think just having siblings in general um you know it it occupies a big part of your identity and a big part of like your mind space um yeah and yeah, I think I kind of followed in my oldest brother's footsteps a tiny bit because he went to Northwestern University um, after he went to Emory. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to go to Northwestern. I was like, I need to go to Chicago. Like, that is the place for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit of, um, you know, the uncle like role model, but also just like, because they're my brothers, I still kind of think of them as my younger brothers sometimes too. Mm, yeah. So do you think your relationship has evolved since you were, you know, like four years old to now? Because back then, like when I'm sure before you started working, you guys were always in different kind of stages of life, right? Mm -hmm. But now that you're like out in the real real world, um, like working and all that, you guys are in on like much closer, you know, life stages, right? Yeah. So do you feel like your relationship has changed because of that? Yeah, I mean, it feels extremely different um, in a lot of ways just because I'm older and I started to feel the gap lessen a lot uh, as I approached like maybe 22 or 23. Um, I don't know why I felt it lessen so much, but I just started to think of them. I just remember like sometimes when my 
my the younger brother Andy when he acted immature towards my parents growing up I really looked up to Andy a lot um he was really funny and like we would watch Arthur together and he would make all these sarcastic <laughs> comments and I just thought he was the funniest mm-hmm. um but he also found me very annoying when he got into puberty and mm. so one of my goals growing up was like don't annoy Andy and there were a lot of things that I did that would annoy Andy um and so like growing up you know I was very sensitive about that kind of stuff and I tried not to be annoying but then when I as I grew older and then I started to see some of his like character flaws and you know he's not perfect and a lot of things that I wouldn't do at his age um then at that point I was like I don't care if Andy thinks I'm cool or not like I don't think he's cool like I love him but like sometimes he does things that I'm like you're a fool so in that sense like (laughs) I, I think I feel a little bit closer to them in, in that they're not untouchable, right? They're not mm. uh, people like who lord their, like whose opinions, you know, I pine to like get approval of. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's really nice. It just feels like we're old adults when we travel yeah. together. <laughs> so I wonder if that has, because, you know, as Asian Americans, we have that kind of elder respect mm-hmm. built into us, right? Um, but that can work against us. I, I, I think that works against us when we w- enter the work, like, work field. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, my first manager, I actually called him Mr. of his <laughs> last name. <laughs> and he, like, he was like, uh, please don't do that. Just call me Dave. You know, so um, I, I just couldn't. There's that thing, right, where yeah. I, I, I need to do this to respect you. Um, but do you feel like because of the... Um, interactions you had with your older siblings like that helped you kind of ease into the American work field where you could kind of say well you know you're not really untouchable even though you're you know 30 years older than me were you know working at the same place things like that no um (laughs) but the other thing is that (laughs) um within my company everyone is so young um you know Mm. even the senior managers they're like mid-30s latest Mm. and so in that sense, um, but I, it only took a quick adjustment for me, which was, oh, I wonder why they don't want me to call them Mr. Steve, even though they're only three years older than me. But then I thought if someone three years younger than me was like, oh, like, you know, like Mrs. Paik, like, like, you know, I have a name, like you can just call me Sarah, yeah. um, especially in such an American context. So mm-hmm. I think in that sense, I was ready to let that go. But no, I don't think it helped me all that much. But mm. that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah it's uh, well, it, it was a little bit different for me because my manager, he was like two years away from retirement when I started oh working. With him. So he's much older. So um, I thought he'd be cool with it. But he was like, no, no, call me by my first name. <laughs> no, that's a hard adjustment to call some adult like who's your parents age by their first name. Yeah. feels like slapping them in the face. So it's yeah. weird that they would ask to be slapped in that way. But yeah, it's all about context. Yeah, yeah, it's that's it's so interesting. I'm sorry, I, I kind of uh, took us off track. Um, please continue with with uh, your life story. Uh, oh dear. No, no, you you uh, um, talked about how you grew up um, in, in the church because your mm-hmm. uncle was a pastor. Oh um, yeah. And you were in Atlanta mm-hmm. most of your life. Right? Yeah. So I I just remember um, that you know I was a pretty studious kid. I really liked school. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really liked school is pretty much what I remember. And I spent a lot of time in church. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I remember somebody like in middle school, some guy asked me out and I actually kind of liked him. But then I was like, I can't go out on a date with you because on he was like, when or I even said yes. I was like, I'll be your girlfriend. And then he's like, when do you want to hang out? I was like, well, Monday I have piano lessons. Tuesday I have my other piano lessons at the church. And then on Wednesday I have like tutoring. And I just like took all the days up. And then he was like, so I was like, it looks like we can't go out today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I remember is that a lot of my life was like work or not work, like school, church and piano lessons. Mm. So then, what, because you brought that up, did your brothers, were they like overly protective? No. Uh, no? Were they, so if you had told them that you were like about to go out with the guy? No, like, they were, a, my oldest brother was a little bit protective, like when I started getting into middle school, but I think it, he also left, like he was not around at that point. Mm. Right. So they're way too old and I wasn't really in touch with them at that point either. And our family is not does not share our feelings with each other so oh, that would not happen <laughs> yeah that's a very asian thing <laughs> <laughs> like are you telling like your daughter like when people ask like oh what about when she gets married and you're like she's never gonna get married <laughs> like are yeah. you one of those dads no I'm, I'm telling people uh yeah she's gonna start dating when she's 30 yeah i mean but i'm sure once uh no because yeah sometimes i think about it about i was at a wedding um this past weekend it was a it was a bizarre wedding because like it was the whole like covid Mm -hmm. um, safety precautions were in place we were all wearing masks um it was outside there were like and it's odd for a korean wedding to be so small but there were like maybe 20 30 people there oh wow so the, the setting was already really kind of odd and unfamiliar but um when i saw the father like you know give away the daughter yeah like it like hit me like it was like different um like i I don't know maybe i was caught off guard because i was in such an unfamiliar setting but when right when that happened i was like oh like i'm gonna (laughs) have to do that one day and like i don't know if like i can handle that emotionally um so i i don't like to dwell on it too much (laughs) (laughs) you still have a little bit of time yeah yeah (laughs) for sure for sure (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Sarah, you you mentioned um, a lot of a lot about like piano lessons, and that's actually one of the things I really want to talk to you about. I'm I'm interested in um, is you are a fantastic musician. Uh, like you are a fantastic oh, pianist. Thank you. To be, thank you. <laughs> yeah, to be specific. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of hear about that journey of um, like how you started playing piano and how you got to a place where. Um, I mean, not only do you like play piano yourself, but you know, like you were, you, you provided tracks for uh, David Kim mm-hmm. most recently, right? With the worship break. Yeah. Um, beautiful, by the way. Thank you. So like, how did you like evolve yourself to get to that point? Yeah, sure. So I think I have a pretty typical path, um, which is that, you know, I mentioned that I had grown up at my uncle's church. Um, I think you might actually know her, do- his daughter, um, Crystal. Crystal Hong was her name, but now she's Cameron. Cameron Lee's wife. Um, they, ha- anyways, that they. Uh, so she was about my oldest brother's age. So she's, you know, twelve or thirteen years older than me. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was like three or four that she was playing piano at my uncle's church. Obviously, pastor's mm-hmm. kid. Um, 
but she was really good. Like she and I knew I know that I grew up with her, but even as a five year old, I was like, oh, she's really good. And I remember mm. that there was a jazz pianist, um, a Korean jazz pianist named Park Jin Woo. Um, okay. And he was kind of known in Atlanta, and he came through, and he, you know, he basically found her, like, playing at her dad's church, which was very small, like, you know, 200 people, and he was like, come with me, like, I'll take you, and, like, you can tour with me, or whatever, wow. so she was really good, um, so I grew up watching her, and then when I was, you know, three or four, I told my parents, like, oh, I really want to play piano, watching her and my parents were like this is so useful because we were going to make her play in church anyways and so I started taking uh classical lessons when I was five mm. and then around age seven or eight it started getting less fun because it was like very strict um just like you know playing at competitions which I found yeah. extremely stressful and not fulfilling and I did not like it. And both of my par- my both of my brothers were also forced to play piano, <laughs> and they also hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Andy, he hated it, but he was pretty good. He still had to play until he was fifteen or sixteen. Um, mm. And so that was kind of the pattern at our house. Um, but she had also my my cousin had also had a six month stint with a worship director at Victory World Church. And he had kind of taught her like chords and a different kind of way of playing music than what I heard other pianists at the time playing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my parents uh, got in touch with him. And so, yeah, for the last couple years of elementary school and for the for most of my middle school years, I was going to Victory World Church, um, which is a huge, like multiracial mega church. Uh, I was going there every Tuesday afternoon like after school uh for a lesson is that the world is that the one in uh doraville in norcross norcross okay yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. um and so i was going there every every week um to get lessons and so i learned chords there and um and then i mentioned that i had you know that i left my my uncle's church when i was about 10 Mm -hmm. and so we left there Actually, the last week that I was there, he made me play second piano, um, so like holding strings while my cousin played first piano. So I was very young, right? I was nine Mm. or 10. And I remember I messed up really bad. Like it sounded awful, (laughs) Um, but he wanted to train me up. And and so that's why he put me on. And um, I just remember the sound man and me, we made eye contact and we were laughing (laughs) so hard (laughs) because he heard how bad that sounded. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so that was the first time that I played. And then my parents, started attending a church in Jonesboro so we drove down an hour and a half every Sunday to go to this church Um, and it was actually mostly um, like mixed couples so it was a lot of couples where the man was either white or black and then the Korean the wife was Korean and the head pastor of this church was Korean and so there um, you know they had very like adult services and I had to play piano for them so I was playing like hymns with these very old people who didn't know how to like lead worship Mm. um so that was one of the things um and I remember being pretty lonely there actually just because I kind of got isolated by the other kids um maybe because I was the only like full Korean like to me I felt very other when I got there um so yeah, so that was not a fun time, but I did spend a lot of time playing there, and then, meanwhile, I was still getting lessons from Victory World Church and getting my p- classical piano lessons. Oh, wow. um, 
and this continued through high school and then in high school my junior year I finally got to quit classical piano lessons mm -hmm. um, and even before that a couple years before that my teacher at uh, at at Victory World Church, he quit on me. Like he was like, "I'm getting too busy, whatever." And I wasn't uh, making progress. Um, I specifically remember one lesson. He found out that I hadn't been playing at a church for like a year, and he was like, "Wait, so you just come into these lessons and you haven't been applying?" I was like, "No." And he was like, "Why are you here? Like, why are you taking lessons every week?" And I was like, "Cause my mom forces me to." And he was like, "Do you like playing piano?" And I said, "No, I don't." And he was like, okay, so this week, your homework assignment, um, I don't want you to practice. No practice. But what I want you to do is just spend some time every day praying to God, like ask him to give you a passion um, for piano, for music, you know, to lead his people in worship. Mm -hmm. um, so that's your homework assignment for this week. And that's wow. always stuck with me. But yeah, I was definitely wasting his time. He was giving lessons incredibly cheap as, as a form of his own personal ministry um, to build up smaller churches in the area. And, and so that came to an end in middle school. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was entering college, I had played a lot in churches. I had played in um, Korean like KM ministry mm -hmm. services. Right. Um, and I went between multiple churches and I played for revivals for a lot of Korean, like just older <laughs> people's services. Um, but I also got to play a little bit in youth group. And that's how I, you know, got to play with David um, and, and we were in worship team together. So that was really, really great. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I had a pretty mixed experience of like playing in different environments. But honestly, I didn't like it. Um, all so I really liked about it was like... It was just out of pride. Um, I liked being good at something, and I don't know why, but I felt very threatened when I met another like female piano player in church. I was hmm. like, huh, competition. But I don't know why I thought that, because I didn't even like playing piano that much. I didn't practice. Like, I didn't like it. Um, but I did like the feeling of being better than other people, and... I think eventually I just got tired of that. And so that's to say, when I was entering school at Emory, um, that's where I went for undergrad, I remember I was moving in and it was, you know, I, I had packed all my stuff. We were loading into the car and literally my dad had put the keys in the ignition and my parents were like, are you not going to take the keyboard? Because like my friend, actually, I think you know him, Jeff Nam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So huh? he had lent me his keyboard. Um in high school I don't know why because like we had jammed together a couple of times and he's like oh you don't have a keyboard like use mine I was like okay thanks so he left he lent it to me for several months and you know I just left it at my parents place and they were like you're not gonna take it I was like no yuck and they were like Sarah are you sure like maybe your friends will want to play it a little bit or like you know like it can't hurt just to take it it's so small I was like oh mm -hmm. fine and so, so we took it that's how I got a spot in my freshman dorm room oh wow um, and through freshman year, like, obviously there are some chances to, like, jam with people. And, you know, that's kind of part of college socialization. But yeah. I wasn't practicing regularly, even at that point. And it was still kind of just a thing that I used to feel better about myself compared mm. to other people. Like, oh, maybe I'm not the best at math, but <laughs> I'm better at playing at a church service than you are. Or like, right, yeah. just something so petty like that. But... Um, I think a lot of things changed my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. So my sophomore year of college, um, 
that summer I had gone to Dominican Republic uh, for a mission trip with with crew and um, and after that I was basically set up to become co-leaders with one of my best friends uh, who was also in that mission trip but then something happened and my mom basically told me like we don't have any money to send you to college don't tell your dad this but, like we're kind of like we're just a little bit tight right now and like it would be really helpful if you just deferred a semester i was like uh i'm supposed to start wow. school in two weeks and i'm supposed to be like god's servant like i committed myself to being a leader like this is how god is going to use me because you know i was very on fire after like having done a lot of evangelism and discipleship in dominican republic yeah um and for but, those of you who don't know, Emory is a private school, so the tuition is very expensive oh, there. Yeah. It's pricey. I was so selfish. But uh, no, yeah, so no, I, I definitely, um, I, you know, I, I, and so I asked my mom, like, what what do you want me to do? And she's like, mm. you know, you could work or like maybe you can go like, you know, overseas like and help out with a missionary or, or whatever. And, and so um, I had always wanted to go to Laos. I had visited Laos uh, as part of a mission trip in high school, and I loved the people there I love the ministry there which was like training up the national soccer team that's the missionary that we were working with cool. so cool and so I was like I just want and I felt very loved there and I love the food and everything and so I was like oh I want to go to Laos but that missionary he actually said like oh like we're not really in a place right now to like have you here um we'd love to have you at another time and, and so that wasn't going to work out and uh it ended up I ended up going to India uh, where my parents have a pretty close relationship with uh, Missionary Park. And, and so Han Vision has actually gone on several mission trips with Missionary mm -hmm. Park now. But uh, so I went there alone um, for a semester. Wow. I, yeah. Um, so that was my sophomore, fresh, uh, sophomore year, first semester. And um, yeah, I was extremely lonely there because um, like it was first of all nobody spoke english which is mm -hmm. obvious but everyone spoke bengali or korean um mm -hmm. and so you know i was there and the korean missionaries they were closer to my parents age and the church that we went to was also four korean missionaries living in kolkata and so everybody there was like close to my parents age and then they had children right and so everyone was like and there are no college kids at Kolkata. Like, they would all yeah. go to Korea or America for college. And so I was, like, pretty much the only college-age person. Um, mm. No one spoke English. And all the kids kind of didn't know how to view me. They're like, oh, mi kuk is on nuna. Like, do you know They just, like, kind of saw me as, like, this very, like, exotic. Like, oh, American. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> like Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta like they made fun of everything and you know it was just like they tried to be nice but in the end I just felt extremely alone and there were lots of days where I was just bored and um I just spent a lot of time on YouTube actually uh I had to kind of be careful because there was limited internet so a lot of times I would hear the oh. missionary be like oh no we ran out of internet again like we have to buy more because of me um but anyways so I watched a lot of YouTube and there I I you know started to watch a lot of videos with like um like gospel players mm -hmm. so in high school I had pretended to be interested in this band um called Snarky Puppy and they do like jazz kind of fusion I just kind of, I, I mean, it was fine, but I kind of just pretended to like it because of a guy that I kind of liked at that time. 
Um, and so I didn't really love it, but I was kind of exposed to that world of like jazz and like, you know, modern music. Mm-hmm. Then when I was in India, like I stumbled upon these videos of some of these same guys who like played with Snarky Puppy, but it was videos of them in a different context, which was like in church. So most of these people, they're black musicians and they play in their churches and the videos were so low quality. Um, it's like like 2007, 2006 phone recordings. <laughs> but the things that these guys were playing were incredible um, and just made no sense to me. I, I had not mm. heard anything like that growing up. And I also didn't have any opportunities to play piano when I was in India, which mm. I didn't think would be a problem. As I mentioned, I didn't really like music at that point. But I think I felt a little bit unseen and like without a voice Mm. um just because i wasn't able to speak my native language i didn't really have a way to connect with people like you know i connected with kids who spoke bengali and were like 20 years younger than me so um so yeah that's kind of how i got into gospel music a little bit and then when i came back to america um in the spring that's actually the first time that I started looking to buy a a professional grade like keyboard Mm. um and so I named him Montel after actually the worship leader at Victory um Mm. do you know that song this is how we do it yeah yeah that that Montel Jordan he uh, gave his life over to Christ and committed himself to ministry at Victory World Church um and so I named my keyboard after him Montel and at that point is like kind of where I started to practice. So I took this, I mean, okay, here's the deal is like, I didn't attend a black church, but I had so many videos of people playing and I didn't even know where to begin. So I just started tackling hard things. Um, I would literally listen to these videos and just play the same five seconds over and over again. And I, tried to copy it and imitate it exactly and that's literally how I started it's just like copying 100% what other people were doing yeah and like to give context about how weird that is it's like it's like if someone came to America and they had no concept of English or they don't even go to they didn't come to America they're in Korea, they're learning English, they have no context of English. And instead of like learning like, hello, how are you? They're learning words like, like, you know, uh, like maybe they're learning like, I, I don't know, like linear regression, like just like mm. random words that might not have any context. Right, right, right. And so that's kind of how it felt for me, which is like, what this guy is playing sounds really crazy to me. But it might not be crazy because I don't have any context for it. Like maybe in church, like this is a very normal way to play this song. But because it was so new to me, everything sounded crazy. Mm. So I think while doing that, I definitely hit upon some actual crazy things and some basic things. Um, And so, yeah, I think sophomore year is kind of when I started to take practicing a little bit more seriously. I was probably practicing, you know, you know, I like there were weeks when I would get in like four to seven hours of practice, and usually there are big spurts. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started attending a church called Renovation Church in Atlanta. Okay. And they're multicultural, and uh, their music just spoke to me. It was like, it was kind of like gospel, which I had heard in the videos, but kind of not. Um, 
but I just remember really, really loving it, and uh, I tried out for their worship team. I practiced like crazy, and they were like, oh my gosh, yeah, obviously you're welcome in, and so that was like a huge opportunity just for me to experience leading, like experience worship with different kinds of songs, so they did a lot of different genres, right, like R&B or like rock, Um, and that's kind of where I first thought like, oh man, when people ask me what kind of music do I like, I think growing up I always said everything except for country, which is a common answer, right? Mm -hmm, But then mm -hmm. I thought about my favorite Christian artists and I was like, a lot of the songs that I sing, they're kind of country. (laughs) If you just heard like Chris Tomlin or like Shane and Mm -hmm. Shane, who I adore, but I was like, that's country. Like, but to me, I had just called that Christian music. Do you know what I mean? To me, that's how Christian music sounded. But yeah. going into this church, which was multicultural, and they like were very intentional about it, yeah. it I realized how many assumptions my idea of worship was based on. Um, oh, and it's just based on the context that I was like exposed to. So like, especially growing up in a Korean setting, it's a lot of like lament. Like lament and prayer kind of mm-hmm. is where I feel like Korean worship kind of thrives and is is where the heart is and so like being very contemplative I think is also something that I learned in like being in youth group um I really like songs like by Brooke Fraser like nobody or what is it like none but Jesus right or like Mm, yeah kind of these quiet contemplative songs that to me was worshipful that was the definition but then going into other settings I was like oh this is uh, like there are different styles of worship Mm-hmm. And worship music can sound very different. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because when I think about worship, there is a very narrow, like, style set yeah. of worship music that I'm accustomed to and I can think of. But when you started throwing out like R and B and rock, it yeah. took me back a little bit. Like, oh, like you can worship in those styles. That's 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 very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it. I mean. I think I kind of grew in my musical awareness there of like Mm -hmm. um, what worship could sound like and I also just fell in love with hymns Um, just a lot of these hymns I had heard growing up I realized that it's not that I didn't like the hymns I just didn't like the way that they were sung like so but the lyrics are incredible Um, and almost all the hymns that I really love and treasure you know they have several stanzas about about life on this earth but almost all of them the last stanza is usually about death um is about like what happens when we get to eternity and and like what happens when we we shed these old bodies off and you know we're resurrected into a new life um and i think that that really touched me because i i thought about death a lot you know in my life and was exposed to a lot of death growing up and so um, yeah, I realized just how much I really love hymns and how much I want them to be in the church setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also trying different approaches to bringing them in church. Mm-hmm. Um, right? So that the most amount of people would be able to hear the lyrics and not be just, like, not just hear the music, but hear the lyrics themselves. And obviously for each person, it will be a little bit different what speaks to them. But um yeah. Yeah, so that was at Renovation Church. I had a great time there, um, and I was really treated like family there. And then 
unfortunately I got hired by a company to move to Chicago which I love Um, I always wanted to live in Chicago like I had mentioned Uh and I just wanted to live in a city with public transit is yeah yeah Atlanta has Marta but that's oh my gosh (laughs) and like just being walkable like Atlanta has like pockets very small pockets of walkability but then you have to drive to the next pocket so um always wanted to like Chicago was my New York and so to get a job there was really great um it was very hard for me though because I had fell in love with my church Mm -hmm. um and the things I was was learning and and just being intentional about building relationships with um, people who who didn't look like me, people who didn't think like me, um, yeah. and you know, really observing my own assumptions and my own context that I had grown up in and how it affected me. Um, but moved to Chicago, and I think that's when I started practicing every day. Um, and wow. what's crazy is I started actually, I had to travel because I'm a consultant. So my first project was traveling to Denver. So I literally carried a keyboard with me in my suitcase, like a very small keyboard. Oh, wow. Um, And, you know, I took it with me there and I practiced in the evenings and in the mornings before work. (laughs) Actually, people like made fun of me. Like one time, like um, my suitcase that my check in my carry on bag. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have room in the plane to take it. And so th- they were like, oh, we're going to have to check it. And I was like, okay, let me just grab uh, my keyboard out there real quick. And so I opened up my suitcase and I pulled out my keyboard. And the person next to me was like, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to do a concert for us right now? <laughs> like, I was like, dude, I literally just had to take it out because like, I need to check my bag. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to play you a concert. Um, and, and so like, even the clients saw like me carrying my keyboard around or whatever. But um, so yeah, I, I started practicing pretty consistently for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was still just using that same approach of like just copying, right? And I realized along the way that at that, like once I got into gospel music, all of that pride that I had taken in myself, man, that was gone. <laughs> gone so quick um because they were so because it was just such foreign stuff to me that i had never heard before Mm -hmm. and the level of musicality that church musicians have like i'm not sure if you're aware of this but like the musicians for all the big artists like beyonce jennifer hudson they're all church musicians and they're all known within the church music network so like i know jennifer hudson's keyboard player like I know. Wow. <laughs> I know, like Beyonce's organ player, like all of the church musicians in the Black church community, like they are the ones who then end up getting called for these large gigs, right? So Spanky wow. is from Philadelphia. He plays for Lady Gaga, and like that's kind of reputations that they have um, and that they build. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, but I, I I remember specifically one time at a revival um, at Humvision, one guest pastor had come and he was like from Korea, but he was preaching and then he started to sing some song Mm -hmm. uh, that he had not told me that he was going to sing. But he looked at me like, okay, let's play. I was like, (laughs) uh, okay. And so like, I was like digging around the keys trying to find his key. And I played. And afterwards, I was like, I didn't appreciate that. But then afterwards, I was like, that was actually really fun. Like, Mm. um, the challenge of that and 
and just thinking on your feet so quickly. But like yeah. what I had gotten was just such a small taste of what I've experienced um, attending black churches and being like playing music there is mm-hmm. just, I mean, like so many things are not planned. There have been so many times where pastors just start singing random songs. They're like, in keys that they, I, I don't know. And so you, we have like five seconds to catch them, find yeah. their key. And, and at the end, they're like, that sounded really nice, band. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm glad. Because like, you didn't tell us you were going to do that song. Like, I have never heard this song before. So I'm really glad that you liked it. Oh, wow. Um, so like, um, I, I do. Yeah. So all of that kind of pride that I had taken in myself really went away and also like a lot of the laziness that I had experienced it was such a weird way that I felt in high school which is like I just wanted to be known as talented I I wanted people to look at me and think wow she's so good even without trying I don't know why I thought trying was so uncool at that point (laughs) no no that's I, I think I can totally relate and I think a lot of people do that too um where I mean, I've had friends who literally, like, kind of hide to go study so that when they, like, get a good grade on the test, they can be like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a pretty common thing um, amongst, especially amongst Asian Americans, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, there is something embedded in us where we want to be, like, innately better than other people. Um, like, something with our genes is good or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but... Just by birth. I can totally I'm just relate. great by birth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> right? And, and so... But I had that to the max. But it was such out of dichotomy where it's like, I also wanted to be better than everybody else. But I also didn't mm. want to try hard because, right. yuck, that would mean that I'm not talented. And But then once I started playing different kinds of music, all of that went away. Um, suddenly, I wanted to try hard at everything and there was no room for thinking that I was better than anybody else first of all because even just like the average church musician like if you go into any church on a Sunday they were already so be- so much better than me um they already had so many years of experience ahead of me like um you know playing all these different kinds of music playing in such a demanding setting mm-hmm. and and at the same time, I also, as I started to practice, um, it's like even people who may think that they are at like, quote unquote, a lower level or like not as talented, even what they are able to play at that time, it, it means that there was that much time spent, right? Um, and it's kind of like, I really like languages. So I think of everything in terms of babies acquiring language. Mm. Uh, Oh my gosh, your daughter is acquiring language right now. But like, in that setting, like, you never make fun of her for saying a sentence wrong. Or like, you Mm. don't even make fun of her for babbling, right? You encourage it, in fact, because you know that if she keeps babbling and you keep giving her feedback, she's going to learn how to talk. Um, And that's kind of how I started to see music as like, right, if I see a toddler talking... that's nothing to scoff at um Mm, they're making an effort they have made an effort they've made progress they're making sounds they might not be joyous or you know honoring to the lord but like they are doing it and if they continue to do it and work at it like they will get better and so i started to appreciate i think people of all skill levels at that point and Mm. i also received a lot of that kind of 
recognition from other musicians that I really respected, mm-hmm. um, which was like a clear understanding between the two of us that I'm clearly a baby when it comes to gospel music. And yet they would say like, they would hype me up. They're like, you're killing, like you're a monster. I was like, am I? <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> think I am. Like, I, I feel like a child. Yeah. Um, but I really do think that just like as musicians, there's this understanding of like, you will get better. And if you're putting in the effort, like you could become a monster, right? And mm. that's kind of what I felt. Like I felt a lot of encouragement from other musicians who are at a much higher level than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just normal. And when babies are acquiring language, like adults talk to them. Otherwise, they would never learn how to speak or like you yeah. know, kids who are older than them talk to them without being like well you're not a real english speaker yet so like i don't want to talk to you so okay i feel like i just rambled so much um no no no. please i don't know what i'm talking about at this no i think um you know i so i've i've been kind of collecting questions in my head because the the first question i had um, in terms of your musicality is of all the lessons that you kind of took growing up, you know, classical music mm-hmm. and all, all those kind of things, what do you think has equipped you the best to get into, like, gospel music? I think what the training that I got from the worship director at Victory, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was basically more of a jazz approach, which was, like, learning music theory and scales and chords. Oh, okay. Um, and like the language of music, right? As opposed to just reading music from right, a sheet. Right. Um, that and, and being thrown in really hard situations, like playing at church. I think playing in church is like, especially like, and the smaller, the better. Like, <laughs> hmm. because you're gonna have to adapt to a lot worse. Like, uh, like there's tend to be a, a lower level of like musical competency, which then you have to kind of pad for mm-hmm. um so yeah i think playing in church and and taking jazz lessons was kind of the most helpful for me yeah that makes sense because when i was younger i took like I, I took a lot of piano lessons but i don't remember anything i think i remember the last song that i learned which is like uh, i think it's like turkish march um that the, like I rem- I know kind of how to play it because yeah, of yeah. muscle memory, but only like a little bit of it. But like in terms of like anything else, I feel like all those years of lessons hasn't served me well at all. But like recently, I started like learning that there are chords you can play on the piano. So like yeah, um, like I've been dabbling with that, and now I can like kind of like when I hear other music i can kind of find the if i can like understand the chords of the song i can kind of like play it out so like oh david no no no, no, no it's nothing like my uh, you stumbled upon gold <laughs> you <laughs> opened the gates yeah yeah but it, it's but to me it's like man like if i had learned this instead of just learning how to read cheat music like that would have served me so much more um but it's cute because for some reason my daughter really loves uh, the happy birthday song. <laughs> so I like um, I figured out how to play it on the on the uh, piano one day and I'm like she like gets so happy. So like it's those oh. things like where I yeah. see like oh like man learning chords is so useful because like, you can like actually 
it, like you're right it opens up gates to like so many other things so oh that, that's that's good to know um yeah guys if you guys are um if you want to get good at music like sarah yeah chords learning that that's where it's at <laughs> or if your kids want if you want your kids to understand music um mm. my parents have apologized to me so many times they were like sorry that we made you do all those classical lessons like we were so ignorant like we didn't know that's just what everyone did is we all just sent our kids to classical lessons yeah we yeah. assumed that was the way and my parents said if we had known earlier we would have just started doing jazz yeah um so i do hope that more people get to experience music as a spoken like as an oral language mm. um and, and something like a conversation that happens live as opposed to just reading static notes on a page right, right. that's valuable in itself that's just one part of music language though so yeah i do yeah. hope lots of people get to experience that joy yeah and, and you know um as i was listening to your story um one thing i really appreciate about you is that you were very open um you're very open and like you didn't like all the times of like loneliness like you were you weren't shy about sharing it um and even like with you struggling with kind of the pride aspect of your talent mm -hmm. um i i i'm glad you brought those things up because um i want to ask if do you feel like those things influenced you or, or like motivated you maybe even in to getting to where you are now or do you think those are just kind of obstacles that you needed to overcome um, at that time to you know become who you are today with regards to the pride I think that was something that needed to be taken care of mm. um, I don't think it's possible or I don't think you can grow healthily with that level of pride um, with a combination of like inaction right? right so if you want to be good but then and like having a spirit of like covetousness like coveting what other people have without wanting to put in any work mm -hmm. because of said pride that's no way to excel at anything um and mm -hmm. and so that would have really hindered me um that was something that the lord had to do in me for sure when it comes to the loneliness um I think that actually does play a lot into it um, because like I had mentioned like I had no interest in music really um, for for music itself until after I came back from India um, mm -hmm. and I just think being alone in India really um, it put me in it like it was really great because I got to spend a lot of time reading and contemplating the word and and just praying and really depending on God for even things as simple as like companionship or um, right things that I hadn't had to really rely on him for before right and I think also just in terms of like language not being able to communicate with people well um, it's something that I took for granted, like speaking English with people. Yeah. Uh, but when I, I actually met an English speaker, there was a kid who was also in India for mission trips. Mm -hmm. He was hanging out with a much hipper 
uh, more modern missionary who like sent him all over <laughs> India and like let him meet a bunch of college students who like spoke English with him. Uh-huh. But after he finished his travels all over India, being all fancy and like visiting the Taj Mahal, he finally came back and all the disciples were like, oh, it's like Shadi, um, Andrew's back. Like you get to meet him. I was like, okay, great. And I met him. And if I had met him in America, you know, I would have no, no thoughts. But hmm. man, he was the most interesting, most engaging <laughs> <laughs> that I had met and that was like month four of me being in India mm. and I, we just talked about dumb things about like the lack of toilet paper and like Spanish conjugations of verbs but I just remember like I was like I will marry you right now like uh. that's how much I missed speaking English with somebody yeah. who was from the same context that I was from and so um, I think in music I definitely found a lot of language in in that sense Mm. um and yeah just i think to learn somebody else's language requires you to be humiliated a lot right like as a as a child it's expected that you're gonna suck at something but when you're an adult it's like okay like you're old enough like you should be somewhat good at things (laughs) but to take to to enter a new context and and say like i want to learn what you guys are doing um, requires that you really submit yourself to them. Like, you know, like they can be teaching me. I'll be like, uh, I don't like that finger. Or like, <laughs> but it's like, okay, Sarah, this is not the time for you to be giving your opinion. Like you need to mm. shut up and listen. Um, and, but then what the, the result of that is that then I have language that I've actually learned from like people who speak the language, who are fluent in it. And then I can bring it out. And, and then at that point, I'm free to put my own interpretation on it, right? And um, I mean, the amount of respect that I have for church musicians, I don't know if you can tell, but it is infinite. Like, if I could mm-hmm. tell the whole world the level of musicianship that these people are displaying um, on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would. Um, and so, yeah, I think being lonely... Um, and not having control over the way that I was able to communicate with other people pointed me into a direction of like communicating with people who, yeah, sure, they were a different context, um, but not so different in that we both have the same faith, right? And mm-hmm. um, just experiencing fellowship with Christians from around the world, like taking communion with people to me is one of the most intimate things uh because i've done it with people in multiple different countries right every time it's sacred um it's it's like we yeah i mean i'm in india and i'm hot and i'm wearing a mask i have sunglasses on like things are dusty and things are loud and things smell different but we are here taking this biscuit um, and, and this juice and we're both receiving the blood and flesh of Jesus Christ um, mm. you know, and taking communion and promising each other that we'll remember Jesus uh, and you know asking Jesus like remind us of what you've done uh, and so I think that's why like gospel music is kind of was kind of a natural way for me to go in terms of that is is there's enough novelty um, that I, I would feel challenged um, and motivated, but also enough familiarity. Like a lot of the hymns that they sing are hymns that I heard when you know mm. I was a baby. Wow, man, that's so. Like it's almost like music became like 
a secondary language for you to be able to relate with other people, huh? Oh yeah, I definitely yeah. feel that way. Wow, that's amazing. So, I, I want to ask. Sorry, do you have a hard stop? I know we're kind of no, sort of near I don't. Now. But I'm sorry if you how much you have to edit. Like, please no. feel free to edit whatever. No, 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 no. This is all great. <laughs> this is all really good. Um, well, one last question I wanted to ask you regarding music. Um, well, I, I think it's it's so great to hear that it wasn't just a I like music, so. I'm gonna pursue it, and that's how I got good. But it's like a real, like, life-defining journey for you. It's in a lot of ways, it shaped who you are, and it, you know, opened doors for you that it was just be- it was beyond just you know mm-hmm. being able to play the piano well. Um, so that it's so cool to hear how um, music kind of um, how you were able to use music in your life to to uh, in that way, um, and it's 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 interesting. Um, because it's so different from what you talked about on the When I Grow Up podcast. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like two, like this, this podcast is, you're so focused on music and it's like all about, you know, like learning the language and all that. But on the When I Grow Up podcast, it was all about data and, you know, um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, I almost feel like I'm talking to a different person, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, we got to dive into how, yeah, it's it's really shaped your life. But um, I wanna I wanted to talk to you about um, kind of the multicultural aspect of your church background because um, that that was another common thread that I saw or I heard um, in your story. Mm-hmm. You kind of grew up. Uh, I mean, you started out in the Korean church, but um, you grew up in a lot of different multicultural churches along the way, and you're at a multicultural church right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wanted to ask you, um, like, do you feel like that has opened your eyes in ways that you, um, or given you fresh or unique perspective on things that you uh, previously didn't have? Yeah. Um, first off, I miss Korean church. Um, mm-hmm. I miss eating after service for free. Uh, without having to decide on a place to go for lunch and without the awkwardness of having to ask people to go. Um, That said, I think in the context that I'm in, living in Chicago or living when I was in Atlanta uh, at Georgia Tech and Emory, um, I'm not, it's not, it's not just Koreans. Um, And I just... There's something very humbling about watching people from another culture worship uh, and pray and share fellowship in ways that are different from mine. And I think some of the things that you talked about with Paul uh, during his interview, which is like stronger and weaker conscience, I have experienced so much of that being in multicultural churches, which is like, sometimes people do things. I'm like, uh, or like, sometimes I do things and people are like, mm, right? We're like, our own ideas, right, our right. own cultural ideas of like, what is right and wrong. Um, I mean, they're just highlighted and it's always awkward, right? Like, even things as simple as like worship, you know, people have very strong feelings about that things like prayer and you know even the way that people maybe interpret passages like 
there's so many different contexts. Um, but then at the beauty of that is like, you get rid of all of those differences and you realize like, yeah, there are people all around the world uh, who are Christians, who have faith. And all of our faiths, like they're based on the same truth, but they, they manifest in very different ways and they manifest in corporate settings in different ways as well. Um, and it's beautiful, right? It's um, like watching Koreans pray uh, you know, just shouting at the top of their lungs and, and crying and screaming on the ground. That's very beautiful. And, you know, I, I would hope that lots of people get to experience that or like get to see or get a piece of like the Korean experience. Um, yeah. And in the same way, like, you know, I hope that people get to experience the exuberance of, of you know, a gospel setting or get to experience um, like the rich theology of like high church, even like between denominations, right? Like a Lutheran church, they have a lot of liturgy and, and just older church traditions. Um, but even that, it's like we're we're related, we're relating to the Christians of old, um, you know, and, and these same prayers that carried Christians throughout centuries and centuries uh, are now, you know, we have them. And, you know, of course we feel very modern, um, but we're not so far removed from those people either. So just, experiencing um the common thread of christianity and, and of faith in jesus through yeah. you know all of time and, and through multiple cultures I, I think you know it makes me excited for heaven um you know what different things will we see there um and, yeah. and the ways that people perceive god the ways that they worship him the ways that they honor him uh you know and i just get a small taste of that at a multicultural church um, or when I leave the country. And so, yeah, I think it has really, really um, changed my life in a lot of ways and made me, you know, see things in myself that I assumed were from God or or from the devil, right? And I learned, like, no, it, it could just be a result of my own cultural context. So, mm. um, yeah, I love it. But I also... Somebody feed me some Korean food, please. Yes. <laughs> Give me your kare with your kimchi. Like, I want your cheapest Korean lunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, I, and I think that's a good message for, for everybody um, to be open-minded about that. Um, and uh, being open-minded enough to accept the cultural context that other people co are coming from so that you don't automatically interpret it as you know, sinful or, you know, you know, like, cause remember we were talking about earlier, how we tend to, uh, want to be better than everybody. Just we're born better. Right. Like we have that kind of innate pride that we always have. So it's easy to look down on other cultures, but, um, yeah, hearing that, uh, you with all your experience in other multicultural settings, um, that you, it opened your mind to like accepting those. Um, I think that's great. I think that's something that we should all strive to achieve and strive to do. Um, so yeah, uh, Sarah, did, did I lose you? Internet might be going wacky right now. Okay, uh, well, if anybody, okay, I lost Sarah. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, and if you have any feedback or anything like that, please feel free to contact me at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at I hope you hear this or on Twitter at ihthtpodcast. 
And please go check out Sarah's Instagram um, at sarah.peck. Um, it's, she posts musical stuff every now and again. It's really good. Um, so yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. You were wrapping things up so beautifully, and then my internet decided to, was like, uh, don't want to hear David wrap it up. No, thanks. I'm so sorry. That was such an inopportune oh. time for it to act up. No, 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 no worries. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I did do a, yeah, and I did, I did a, a wrap up thing, but um, not, now that you're back, um, I, I always do ask, um, <laughs> I always ask uh, my guests if. Um, there was anything that they wanted to share that I, I didn't get to cover or I didn't get to um, mention. Is there anything? No, I don't think so. Um, okay. I think, David, since you brought up your own musical journey, yeah. Um, having listened to the podcast and the way that you are able to actively listen to other people um, and, I, and digest that information, analyze it, and, and spit it back out with your own interpretation... Um, I think you have a very promising future in music. It doesn't have to be to any kind of predefined level of, you know, skill. But mm. I do think that um, <laughs> that's my take on your musical abilities and your skill set. Like, I think you have a very good skill set in place that would set you up for very rapid growth. Oh, wow. Thank you. And, you know, that's really good advice um, for other aspiring musicians out there as well. Um, that active listening skill oh so hey thank you thanks for that that's very encouraging <laughs> i'm glad yeah well um again uh, please oh is your instagram public i don't i don't want to tell people about it if it's not public oh my gosh that's a whole nother story but if anybody follow follow request me i do accept them okay okay so um but because um occasionally you put on your stories just beautiful uh I guess you call the renditions of, of <laughs> hymns and things like that that you play. Thank you. Um, I, I always enjoy them, so okay. I wanted to tell my, my listeners about that. It's sarah.pack, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sarah.pack on Instagram. Uh, P-A-I-K. Yes, yes, yes. Sarah mm -hmm. with the H and a uh -huh. P-A-I-K. Um, please make sure to follow because, yeah, if you're doing yourself a favor. Um, like Whenever you, get, whenever you see a, a story update from her, Always watch it because it's, it's going to be beautiful music. <laughs> so, Sarah, thank you so much for making the time. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. And I uh, hope, hope we can do this more often in the future. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> having me on. This was great. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you uh, for all the listeners for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>